Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9 to 13. Let us hear God's word. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what, it mean, what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen. And so the title of this afternoon's sermon, The Physician of Our Souls. Christ is the physician of our souls. We do confess as we consider our Lord Jesus and uh, as we would go to to God in prayer and in his name that uh, God is the great physician and we would be going to at different times in our prayers as we go to him with our ailments and sicknesses and so on. We go to him acknowledging that our physical life and health is in his hands and we acknowledge he is while the, we would uh, seek out doctors and, and um, medicine and such thing, we acknowledge it's all under God and uh, ultimately uh, if there would be health it would be from him. But also what we see in this verse, Christ refers, he uses that as an example and to show that he is that one, the physician, the doctor uh, of our souls. He is that one we need uh, for our salvation. And uh, although that is uh, in the last, you know, verse 12 particularly mentioned that we see something of Christ in this way uh, from verse 9 and the way that he calls, called Matthew and the way he was with those who came to eat with him and then in answering the Pharisees and their question. So I want to consider this then, our Lord and his mercy under three headings. So firstly we see that Christ calls sinners. Secondly, he eats with sinners. And thirdly, he heals sinners. He is the great physician. So firstly... He calls sinners. Verse 9, as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. So as I mentioned when we began uh, in Matthew, uh, the Gospel of Matthew doesn't have in its text as such the name, Matthew doesn't, claim it as his own. The the, uh, title that we have in our Bibles was uh, found very early in all the earliest manuscripts from earliest days. It was this gospel attributed to Matthew, the Apostle Matthew. But we find here, uh, understanding that then, that Matthew himself was not uh, afraid, he was not too proud to hide his background. He was not too proud to hide his background from those... uh, who even immediately gave, uh, received this gospel. Now what was that background? We find him here sitting at the receipt of custom. What does that mean? I mean, we th- might think of, uh, even today, we use the, the word customs as regards uh, the uh, transfer of goods between territories, between states, and there are different taxes and levies and, and so on uh, that are uh, given and, and, and received between countries, between territories and and so on. And that's, that's the meaning here. We, we uh, find from the other Gospels that Matthew, another name that he went by, was Levi. So Matthew being more his Greek name, Levi, his Hebrew name, after the, the, uh, the son of Jacob. 
and he was Levi, and Alphaeus was his father, Levi the son of Alphaeus. And so we find him here sitting at the receipt of custom. He was, in the next verse we have this reference to publicans, uh, and that's what Matthew was. And uh, in the other Gospels as well, he's given that, that uh, label, but also further on in Matthew 10 verse 2, when we have uh, the names of the twelve apostles given, uh, we, well, verse 3 rather, there is Matthew, the publican among them. Now again, publican is another word that we might not immediately understand for what it is in the scriptures. We might think of a publican, you might think of a publican and think of someone uh, who runs a public house, uh, a, a, a pub, a place where people would have food, would have uh, alcohol. But that is not the type of publican uh, that we have here. Rather, he was a tax collector. And as a tax collector, he was acting for the Romans. And so he, he, the tax collectors, the publicans, they were despised by the Jews. They were despised as being traitors because they were collecting for uh, the Roman uh, overseers, uh, the invaders, but also uh, they had a reputation as being wicked extortioners. That they would make the, the, the tax level might have been this, this percentage, the tax collectors would. Uh, it would seem to a man, or almost to a man, they would, they would, get, they would add their bit on. And they were despised for it. And so we see, we, uh, in, in the way that the, the scriptures speak of uh, the publicans, the tax collectors, we, we see this in Matthew 18, verse 17, that section where Christ describes uh, about dealing with, with a professing Christian who has sinned and fallen into sin, uh, that if he, he not hear you when you go to him, if he not hear you with the witness when you go to him, you're to take it to the church, and then uh, we read there, If he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. So he is, in spite of the profession that he has made, his life is showing that he is unconverted, he is worldly, he is uh, outside of the church. And also, uh, in, before this time, before Jesus came to Matthew, uh, if we... Remember in John, John the Baptist, his ministry, there was the people going out to him in the, in the wilderness to be baptised. And there also, Luke tells us, uh, in Luke chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, that there also came publicans to be baptised. And as they came, they said unto him, Master, what shall we do? So teacher, John, uh, to John, what shall we do? He said unto them, exact no more than that which has appointed you. So he's not saying stop doing that work, it was lawful work, but he's saying stop being covetous, stop stealing, stop extortioning. This is who Matthew was. Matthew was one of these. He was sitting at receipt of custom. He was doing, he, he was sitting in that very position. He wasn't on his way out. He wasn't trying to get out of this uh, uh, out of this career, he's there, he's doing it. And Christ came to him where he was and called him to himself. And it's a call to salvation and it's a call to service. Follow me, he said. And so we can see, we should, we should observe that Jesus called Matthew to himself while he was there in his tax booth. We don't know. We're not told what type of publican he was, in a sense. And was he one of the you know, half a percent, point one of a percent of, of the honest publicans, tax collectors? No, we, we're not given any of that information. So all we have is what the Bible says, the publicans showing them as, as dishonest, wicked men. And Christ said to him there, follow me. And in those words, follow me, we have the external call of the gospel. 
There is the call of Christ, come unto me, follow me, he said to this man in his sin. But in the, in the results, we see the effect of the internal call, the effectual call of God. Because Jesus said, follow me. And there were multitudes who didn't, but Matthew arose and followed him. We read in Luke 5, verse 28, And he left all, rose up, and followed him. Immediately converted to Christ. Under the preaching of the word, and they said, Follow me, there is the call. It's there. And he arose and went. And so we see the power of God to save Matthew, but also I think we see in Matthew how that Christ calls sinners as sinners to himself. Christ calls sinners where they are to turn to him, to repent of their sin, to follow after him. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Christ didn't wait for Matthew to clean himself up, to deal with those bad habits, to change jobs, you know, get himself into a better position, and then, you know, that Christ, then, then he could follow Christ. No, now, stop sinning and follow me. And so we're reminded that the gospel is God's word to sinners. And Christ addresses this particularly you know, as he goes on and answers the Pharisee. But just later on, those, those well-known words of, of Christ in chapter 11, verse 28, Christ addresses sinners, Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Christ calls sinners, those who are labouring in the world, who are labouring in sin, who are laid down with guilt and sin, who are under the condemnation of the law. He calls them to himself. And there is rest in him. He calls them out of their sin. He calls them to repentance. Verse 13, came to call sinners to repentance. Not come as you are with whatever you have, you know, but leave your sin and come. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ, which as we considered this morning, is not that Jesus is here to help you help yourself. He's here to help you have a better life. It's not a motivational talk. Uh, you should really think better of yourself. It is life for the dead. It is salvation for sinners. There's the promise of life and by the power of the Holy Spirit there is the giving of that life. So Matthew is called to salvation and at the very same time, and we find this with uh, other of the apostles, certainly in Paul's case, that he was called to service. So Matthew was called to follow Christ, just as already in, 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 in his gospel, he's given the account of Simon and Andrew and James and John, how Christ called them from fishing to be fishers of men. So he called Matthew to follow him. Now, in its broadest sense, everyone... Every single person that Christ calls to himself, every sinner is called to turn from sin, from serving sin, and to trust in Christ and to serve Christ. So it's a call to service. The Christian life is, is a life of service, a life of uh, learning from Christ and doing his will. Just back in Matthew 11, and we often think on you know, that come unto me, the gospel call, I will give you rest. 
But with that rest, there's a yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's a yoke to carry. There's work to be done following Christ. There are his commandments to learn all those things whatsoever I have commanded you to learn and to obey. But for Matthew, there is a particular call to serve as an apostle. And as, 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 uh, as I read there from Matthew 10, where he's mentioned with the 12 apostles. And so we see there also in Matthew that Jesus wasn't concerned with finding in that sense for his service, for his use, those who were in positions of authority in the world, those who were in positions of influence, those who were well-educated, those who had a, a, a great background, a great heritage. These things didn't matter to Christ. They don't matter to him. <coughs> he will take those whom he has chosen and he will form them for his purpose, to use to his glory. He will call and he will equip and he will use. And that's not, that, that, that is, you know, in, in terms of the apostles, and we see that variety among them, in terms of his ministers, but in terms of each and every one of his children, that he'll take them where they are when it's his time to call them, he'll draw them to himself and he'll form them, he'll shape them, and use them to his glory in the doing of their duties. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, we see something of the variety in a sense in terms of God's purpose, but also the, uh, how that the thing that matters as it were is not what you have been, but how... You would seek the Lord and seek to be used of him and be ready for use. And so 2 Timothy 2 verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth some to honour and some to dishonour. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honour, sanctified in meat for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. And so there is in a great house, and we can think of the church of God as a great house, vessels of gold and silver, of wood and earth. That's not for us to claim which one we might be. We might all desire to be vessels of gold, as it were. But to know that our duty is to purge ourselves from that which is dishonourable, goes on to mention some of those things, youthful lusts and so on, that are to be gotten rid of, and to be seeking to be sanctified and meet, ready for the Master's use, prepared to every good work. But as we think on Matthew uh, again, in his calling, uh, we're reminded that uh, the church is not uh, a social club. The church is uh, God's house. It is his temple, his dwelling place. And it is formed uh, from those in this world, from every tribe and tongue and nation, and those who have been uh, sinners from... who have been in all manner of sin. And there was Matthew, a publican, despised of men, and one himself, uh, dead in sins, in covetousness. But we're reminded of the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 9 to 11, showing the reality of sin, the seriousness of sin, but also the, the wonder of the grace of God. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. 
and such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Christ, we see in Matthew, gathering another sinner to himself. And we see him also using, as he did for Paul, using him uh, in the ministry, especially as, as an apostle. Look in First Timothy chapter 1, where Paul exclaims, he marvels at the, the grace of, of God to him. From verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and injurious. But I obtained mercy, because that I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. And so there Paul says he was an example of God's grace to him, not in salvation, uh, showing the mission of Christ to save sinners. That's why he came and also put him into the ministry. And Matthew also uh, very similar way, set before us as an example, God's grace to sinners, whatever type of sinner they might be, and of his even putting such into the ministry according to his will. So he, Christ, he calls sinners. And Christ, secondly, eats with sinners. From verse 10, uh, verse 10 and 11. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Now in Luke's Gospel we're told that this wasn't just any house. It wasn't just a, a, a wholly separate occasion. You know, that, uh, that there was... Jesus eating, sitting for a meal, and, and many publicans and sinners came to him. But rather, Luke 5, 29, we read in Levi, Matthew, made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. And so what it would seem is that uh, Matthew, Levi, having left all and followed Christ, rejoicing, has wanted to then have this feast, have a feast uh, in that sense to honour his master, his teacher, the one he is following, the one who has loved him and given himself for him. And that, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, that he has invited many of his friends and former colleagues uh, to come uh, and to eat with him. It's an example, we find them often, don't we, in the scriptures, and also with the apostles, different ones, when, when Christ called them to himself, uh, of them going and telling others. Remember Andrew going and finding his brother Simon and saying, Come, oh, we've found the Messiah, come and meet him. And here, Matthew, delighted in the grace of, of God, he's, he's full of uh, of joy and he wants others to know he wants these others who whom he was just with even hours even days before to meet Christ too do you know anything of that desire I, I know the difficulties I know the, the difficulties in our flesh to speak of Christ openly with others but ought it not to be that as we are full of Christ as we're filled with the fullness of God as we, as we are looking to Christ that we too will want to, to, to speak forth of him to others. To 
It introduces, as it were, others to our Lord, to our Master. And so there's a challenge in that sense, in Matthew's example, to, to seek Christ, to delight in Him, and to be seeking opportunities to make Him known in your family, in your workplace, uh, in other areas of life. And also, as we think on here, uh, Levi, in that sense, he entertained Christ at his house and invited others. Where, where, would we, where, where do we know from the Word of God uh, that Christ uh, promises to be present uh, where we might invite to where we might invite others. We could, we could think of uh, in our homes and when we might meet in our families and uh, in, in worship and, and read uh, the word of God and, and, and worship him there. Yes, there, there's, there's a place there, but would we not think of the public worship of God? That is, is that not where Christ has said that where two or three are gathered in my name? There am I in the midst of you. Is there not an, an encouragement also to be inviting others to meet with God to meet and hear of Christ where he has promised to be. But we're told of many publicans and sinners. Who are these publicans? We understand who they are. What are the sinners? Who are they? The The words used, it's it's the same word throughout this passage. Uh, In a sense, it's used differently here, though, to say in verse 13, where Christ says that he has come to call sinners to repentance. In in verse 10 and 11, uh, when we're told of the publicans and sinners, and then when the Pharisees complained, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? It's talking about a particular group of people, a particular of those particularly notorious, I suppose, in sin. Notorious sinners in, in, in society, involved in scandalous sin. And we might think of something of that list that we even read in 1 Corinthians 6, of those of whom uh, the Scriptures say uh, that they shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So those fornicators, adulterers, the sodomites, the covetous, the extortioners, and, and so on. Uh, these are the ones uh, that are in view here in Matthew 21. We find this combination, publicans and sinners, at different times. In Matthew 21, 32, it's slightly different and it it helps us understand it, uh, where Christ said, For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and he believed him not, but the publicans and harlots believed him, and ye... When ye had seen it, repented not afterward, that ye might believe him. He's speaking to the religious Jews. He's saying, look, these publicans and sinners, these publicans and harlots, they believed John, but you didn't. So this is who these sinners were, particularly notorious sinners. And those, we see these words in the mouths of the Pharisees, those that they looked down upon. They were outcasts. Now, there's a, a righteous way in, there in which the, you know, notorious and scandalous sin can, is seen as such that there, is, there, there are some sins more heinous in the sight of God than others. But there is from the Pharisees clearly pride and self-righteousness, which is what Christ goes on also to address. And so what we see here is that Christ, he ate with sinners. And uh, that's clear in the the narrative, as it were. Christ sat at meat in the house. He uh, sat uh, to eat. And then in the accusation, uh, why does he eat with them? Now what's what's the significance of this? When When I say, you know, Christ ate, with sinners, and when they said, Why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? If we think of that, well, it's true in the ultimate sense, isn't it? If, if we think of sin as the breaking of God's commandments, and, and that there is uh, no man on earth who has not sinned and broken God's commands, then 
in an ultimate sense, if Christ ate with anyone on earth, then they were sinners. And so Christ eats with sinners as we we come to think on who Christ is. Uh, And also, when we look at through the Gospels and we see Christ and how he went about preaching the good news and doing good, we see that he ate with all sorts of sinners, not just, as it were, the lowlifes who the, the, the Pharisees looked down on. He ate with the Pharisees. He went into their homes and ate with them. He ate with believers and unbelievers. He was no respecter of persons. And it's true that when Christ also he speaks of uh, these, even these notorious sinners and how that there were those who did repent and believe. But it's not necessarily true that all of the, those who ate with him, say on this occasion, were, uh, were genuinely saved. See, there are those, I'm not sure if you've come across them, but there are those professing Christians uh, of particular traditions who will not eat with anyone, even other professing Christians, um, unless they are of even the same denomination, of the same, uh, what one thing that is said, there's those that I had to do with some years ago who were of a particular type of, not the exclusive brethren, but the closed brethren, if I could put it that way. And their motto, as it were, was that they would only eat with those with whom they would break bread. So if they would be willing to, uh, to have uh, the, the Lord's Supper with someone, then they would eat with them. But aside from that, they would, they would be totally separate. And they, they would uh, ta- appeal to different, uh, to particular scriptures particularly 1 Corinthians 5, I want to read in a moment. But what we see here is that even though, yes, we have to, uh, there, there is the forbidden, we're forbidden in Scripture to keep company with, even to eat with those who profess to be believers while living in scandalous sin. So their lives are, are making their profession a lie uh, while they still want to be called Christians. But it's lawful to eat with unbelievers in this world, whether it be in your family whether it be in your workplace, whether it be in, in, by way of hospitality, it is, it is lawful. I just want to read, perhaps we can read together just 1 Corinthians 5. There are those, of course, who say, well, why can't we just, of, of course we have to uh, be loving to, to everyone and, and eat with everyone uh, if, if we have opportunity, but, but there are those whom I mentioned, those profess, those who are called false, false brothers uh, with whom we're not to eat. So 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9 to 13. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. And so there are implications when there are those who want to continue being called Christians, though they're living in all manner of scandalous sin, we're not to be treating them as such and not to keep company, not even to eat with them. And that, that's not hatred, that's love. So that they will, by the, by the mercy of God, know their sin and turn from it uh, in repentance. Uh, but, Paul's saying, I'm not saying that you're not to eat with any sinner, otherwise you have to go out of the world. And what we see in Christ is, is rather an example of the opposite. But also as... As we see, you know, well, the, the Pharisees complained, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? As we think on a saviour who eats with sinners, we can think of that not only in the ultimate sense, in, in terms of uh, that if Christ ate with anyone, he was eating with, with a sinner, or in the sense of uh, that it is lawful to do so, but that by the grace of God and, and, and in the sense of Christ's grace and mercy as a saviour when he calls sinners to himself he receives those sinners 
and he, as it were, sups with them. He communes with them. That there is held out to us in this example. Here is Christ, the merciful Saviour, and he calls sinners to himself and he wonderfully saves sinners from their sin and he sits down with them, as it were, and uh, sups with them. Now, this morning, uh, there was the, the, the Lord's table set before us. That is, that's, uh, that's a picture, as it were. I mean, it's, it's the sacrament, the sign and the seal given to us as believers to remember Christ. But it's, it, it also reminds us of that communion that we have and, and can have with Christ. It's not just about the sacraments, but about life with Christ and that he calls sinners to himself, draws them to himself, and he receives them. And he has said that in John 6, 30, 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So Christ is a saviour who receives sinners. And thirdly, he heals sinners. And when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. Go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Christ answers in, as the wisdom of God. Uh, he, he answers in all wisdom and truth. So there was that objection, why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? And he answers with that picture, the picture of the with that image of the physician, of the doctor. And he says, it's not, it's not the healthy people who need the doctor. It's the sick people. And it's, it's the, pretty much the case, isn't it? I mean, yes, I suppose because, something of, uh, because of something of the prosperity in our society, there, there will be times uh, when we might go to the doctor when we're not sick, if we want to tweak this or tweak that or... Uh, or just to have, have a checkup. But doctors are for sickness. They're to heal us when we're sick or when, we, when we're injured, to, uh, to, to look over us and, and, and to seek to help us. We go to the doctor or the doctor comes to us when we're sick. And so Christ is saying, yes, I'm spending time with sinners. They're sick. They're spiritually sick. Christ uses this image and he's describing himself by it as the physician of souls. He, he's the one in whose hands are all things, body and soul, but he has come to save sinners. And that's what he's setting before them. And so for him to be spending time with sinners, that just makes sense. He's come to save his people from their sins, to heal those sick with sin. And to understand this, we have to understand what the Pharisees didn't in their pride. We have to understand that we are sick with sin. And the Bible describes that sickness as, as a plague, a plague of our own hearts. It describes that sickness really as a terminal illness. It's not just a slight passing ailment. It's a terminal disease, a plague of our hearts. We're in fact dead in trespasses and sins. It's a, it's a sickness unto death. We need that Christ would heal, that he would restore, that he would raise to life. So Christ gives that illustration, taking it to himself. He also sends the Pharisees to the Scriptures. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I'll have mercy, not sacrifice. And he's sending them to Hosea. Hosea 6 and verse 6. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Now that's a, actually a place where Christ on a number of occasions sent the Pharisees. Further on in, in Matthew's Gospel, uh, we find this reference also in terms of the, the Sabbath and how the, uh, the, the, they were condemning Christ for healing a man uh, on the Sabbath, condemning him for allowing his disciples to to uh, prepare food for, their, uh, for themselves on the Sabbath and how uh, he, he holds before them this principle from God's word, I'll have mercy and not sacrifice. You see that even though these teachers in Israel, they had 
Bible knowledge. They yet did not understand it. They needed to learn what it meant. It's, uh, we must be aware of, of having knowledge without application. We must be aware of having knowledge without understanding. Of being hearers but not doers of God's word. But we see in, in that, in what Hosea says, and Micah says it, Micah, Micah 6, and in Psalm 51, many places, we see the priority of God upon uh, the sacrifices of the heart, upon mercy, upon the keeping of his commandments in terms of his moral law, also as regards love for the neighbour. Uh, these things have priority to, to the ceremonies, to external an external form of obedience. So he's saying to the Pharisees too, oh look, maybe you're concerned about being ceremonially, ceremonially unclean by having to do with these publicans and sinners. But these are sinners in need of salvation. And I've come to call them to repentance. I've come to call sinners to repentance. I've not, I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And when Jesus says this, does this mean that uh, there are those who don't need a saviour? Does this mean that there are those, or were those at that time, and perhaps are now, who are themselves righteous and don't need the doctor? Is that how we're to understand this image, as it were, that just as the the whole, the healthy, don't need uh, a, a physician, but the sick. So uh, there are those righteous who don't need a saviour. It's just those sinners. No, Christ, in a sense, he's not buying into that. Into the, that's, that was the Pharisees' view. The Pharisees' view was that they were righteous. They didn't need a saviour. Christ doesn't, in that sense... Uh, explicitly dress them down here. He does elsewhere. He, he, in that sense, shreds their reputation. He shows them that even though they had this form of godliness, they had this knowledge. It was a show, a vain show. They were whited sepulchres. They were, they were tombs full of dead man's bones, even though they had a nice uh, paint job. The Bible is clear. And, and when Christ here if not explicitly, but he is saying, no, every single person, every single man and woman and boy and girl is a sinner who needs a saviour. And I've come to call them to repentance. The Bible is clear that there are no, none righteous in themselves. There are none good. And even the righteous acts of God's people, those who have been saved, who, are, who have been made right with God, who the Bible calls righteous by his grace, even their righteous acts are as filthy rags before him. Isaiah 64, in verse 6, this is, this is uh, the people of God, or verse 5 and 6, helps, uh, give, helps with context. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness, those that remember thee in thy ways. Behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned in those as continuance, and we shall be saved. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So there are those who rejoice and work righteousness, and that's by the grace of God, but... Even they have to say all our righteousnesses are as filthy rats. We must realise that when Jesus says that he came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance, that we are sinners in need of a saviour. And if we would if we would be saved, we must repent of our sin. See, many are like the Pharisees and think they are righteous, think they are strong, think they are healthy and don't need Christ. They don't need that physician. 
And that's whether inside or outside the church, there are many people in the world who don't think they need Christ. Whatever they know of him, they don't think they need him. But many in the church too. Their confidence is in themselves. Think of Paul, those things he boasted in, of which tribe he was born into, that he was circumcised on the eighth day, so according to the law, that he, he kept the ceremonial laws, the law of God, to his detail. He even prided himself there as a Jew in that he persecuted the church because he saw it as a heretical sect. And so that was something that, that he took to, to pat himself on the back with. But when he actually met Christ there on the road to Damascus, he realised that all these things were worthless. They were vain. And they were dumb. He counted them as dumb. They got between him and Christ. And so his great desire was knowing now his sin, knowing the vanity of these things was to be found in Christ. Not having a righteousness that's according to works, that which he could do or try to do, Righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. That is what we must realise regarding Christ. We must realise our sin. We must realise our need. God still calls the so-called righteous to repentance. He calls them in their pride to humble themselves and come to him. But they, apart from his grace, will not come. Well, none will come apart from his grace, but we're told that God resists the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So we must realise, if we would know Christ as physician, as the doctor, of our souls. We must realise our need. We must ask that God would humble us before him, that he would enable us in front of his word as we look into it as a mirror as James says, that we would see ourselves as we really are. We would see our sin. We would see ourselves as, as Isaiah describes us spiritually from the bottom of our foot to the top of our head. We just we are ugliness we're wounds, we're bruises, we're sores, we're sick, we're diseased. That's who we are before God. Christ has come to call sinners to repentance. He's come, as he says in Luke 19, as he said to another publican, uh, come to seek and to save that which was lost. In the revelation of Jesus Christ, the final book of the scriptures, we have those letters to the churches in chapters 2 and 3. And final of those letters to the Laodiceans. Uh, Christ came addressing himself to them for their lukewarmness. Uh, that they, they had a profession of Christianity and yet their lives didn't show it. And uh, he, addresses, he addressed their self-righteousness. He addri addressed those who thought they were righteous. And didn't need a doctor. This is what he said. That's what we need to hear. Verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. That's what they were saying. That's what we can say. In our self-righteousness and our pride. But he continues, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. We'll sup with him, and he with me. There is that invitation of Christ to come to him, to receive him, to rest upon him, and know that there is, there is set before us, set before you, the 
the saviour of sinners, the one who calls sinners to himself, the one who eats with sinners, who communes with them, who sups with them, the one who heals, who restores, who renews. May the Lord bless this word to us. Amen. Let us stand up for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, even the chief. We thank thee for examples that we would find in thy word, and there are many of those called in their sin and enabled by thy spirit to follow, to turn, to repent, to believe. We thank thee for those examples of those following even exceeding wicked ways. And yet, by thy mercy, they were justified, that they were sanctified, that they were washed and cleansed, being joined to Christ, brought in to thy church. We do thank thee, O God, for that evidence of that work even in this place. We thank thee for those whom thou hast brought unto thyself out of darkness and into thy marvellous light. We confess that even when it has not been uh, a conversion as it were as, as Matthew's or as Paul's uh, that yet it is a, a great and, and wonderful and miraculous thing when thou would renew a renew undeadened sins that thou would wash and cleanse and forgive we do pray and ask that thou would enable there to be great joy and thankfulness and holiness to thy glory we do pray O God for those yet in their sins that perhaps even this word from the gospel would be brought to them with particular power by thy Holy Spirit that there would be a realisation the vanity of self-righteousness the vanity of the things of this world of the necessity, the need to be trusting unto Christ. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.